0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski show. The show today is sponsored by EMP Shield. Do you know, the head of the US military central command said a grid shutdown situation. It's not a question of if, but when. EMP Shield is the world's first whole home and vehicle EMP protection device tested at the nation's most renowned military certified testing centers. The EMP Shield surpassed all EMP testing standards. This is an amazing product. EMP Shield has models for your home, vehicle, generator, solar system, radio, RV, and even comes in a portable travel and camping model. EMP Shield is scalable to any size you need, and installation is a breeze. There is no product on the market like it, which is why I put my name behind it. Because as you know, I only promote the best products, and EMP Shield, it is the best product in its class. Use the link below or code Sheila to save $50 off each product. That's code Sheila and save $50 off each product. Why EMP? Because it protects, period. Green Gospel, The New World Religion by Sheila Zielinski. Chapter 2, The Big Lie. If you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequent enough, it will be believed. Adolf Hitler. The Reverend Thomas Robert Malthus was an English scholar who studied the fields of economy and demography. His An Essay on the Principle of Population observed that sooner or later, population will be checked by famine and disease. This led to what is known as the Malthusian catastrophe. Malthus proposed a theory in 1798, the population would grow at a geometric rate while the food supply grows at an arithmetic rate. The theory has been touted as flawed because of the limited factors observed when he developed the law. It does not include factors such as technology, disease, poverty, international conflict and natural disasters in a nutshell. Malthus believed that population growth would exceed the food supply. As Paul Johnson explained in his biography of Charles Darwin, Malthus' aim was to discourage charity and reform the existing poor laws, which he argued encouraged the destitute to breed, and so aggravated the problem. Malthus' law was nonsense. He didn't prove it, he simply stated it. What strikes one reading Malthus is the lack of hard evidence throughout. Why did this not strike Darwin? Darwin was an atheist and a believer in Survival of the Fittest and was an ardent promoter of Malthus. In fact, he took a copy of Malthus's An Essay on the Principle of Population with him on his voyages to the Galapagos Islands. Darwin's Theory of Evolution, published in 1859, just 11 years after the Marxist Manifesto, provided two critical components of the deconstruction of Christianity and the emergence of environmentalism as the new religion. It provided scientific justification for the economic and social theories of Marx and others. It also eliminated the need for God to explain human existence and our difference from other animals. This created many changes but two are of great importance to our argument. First, his theory led to the creation and the dominance of the social science in universities. All the disciplines of the social sciences examine humans and and their behavior. They became necessary because Darwin had removed God as the explanation for humans and their differences from other animals. Second, it left people, especially the young, with a moral and intellectual vacuum that provided the ideal conditions for a new religion. An article of faith among the Neo-Malthusians and environmentalists is that the world is getting far too crowded and something must be done. Playing straight from Marx's playbook Paul Ehrlich, a Stanford University professor who has long opined that there are far too many people requiring far too many resources and producing far too much pollution, authored best-selling social engineering books including The Population Bomb, which gained him a reputation amongst environmentalists as a prophetic guru. He remains an icon with their movement even though almost all of his predictions were wrong. Ehrlich's conviction about overpopulation allows him to blame people for most of the world's problems, especially in the environment. There are just too darn many of them. His solution has always been total population reduction and control. Ehrlich's ominous allegations included equating the Earth's surplus of people to a cancer that must be eradicated. As he explains, a cancer is an uncontrolled multiplication of cells. The population explosion is an uncontrolled multiplication of people. We must shift our efforts from treatment of the symptoms to the cutting out of the cancer. This operation will demand many apparently brutal and heartless decisions. He is an example of an atheist playing God. Ehrlich's madness was further revealed in his dictatorial action plan. Our position requires that we take immediate action at home and promote effective action worldwide. We must have population control at home, hopefully through changes in our value system, but by compulsion if voluntary methods fail. That's correct. That's in his book, The Population Bomb. In other words, Forcing you if voluntary methods fail. Ehrlich argued that population sacrifices must first begin in the United States of America. He dismissed the responsibility of the two most populous countries, China and India, from having to adopt the drastic steps he advocated the U.S. must first take. He did this because the U.S. was not only overpopulated. In his view, but that population was based on capitalism and using up resources faster than less developed nations. This idea of setting developed against less developed nations appeared later in the Kyoto Protocol. It penalized only developed nations, with them paying less developed nations to offset the damage the developed nations had done. It was purely socialistic, massive transfer of wealth. Ehrlich asked if Americans would be willing to slaughter our dogs and cats in order to divert pet food protein to the starving masses in Asia. One proposal often mentioned by Ehrlich was the addition of temporary sterilants to water supplies. I said that correctly. Temporary sterilants to water supplies or staple food in order to achieve a zero population growth. Ehrlich forecasted that one of three scenarios would likely occur. First, there would be global food riots and war could break out. He cast the US as the worldwide villain because of this country's insistence on using agricultural chemicals that would have been banned by the United Nations. Second, more than 1 billion people would die in one year alone because of disease and plague precipitated by overpopulation. And third, people would simply perish due to mass starvation. Hundreds of millions of people will starve to death. In the 1970s and 80s, he wrote, most of the grim results would occur by the 1980s and the calamitous outcome would be determined before the year 2000. After the publication of the population bomb, Ehrlich made an updated pronouncement that the United States population would dwindle to less than 23 million by 1999. And Ehrlich came up with a new twist to sell his neo-Malthusian snake oil by combining patriotism with the number of children a couple may have. In 2009, he told the Christian Science Monitor he wanted patriotic Americans to stop at two as a resolution of the world's biggest problem, overpopulation. In 1990, Paul Ehrlich revisited old ground with a new release entitled Population Explosion. In it, Ehrlich blames virtually every human catastrophe, both real and imagined, on overpopulation and religion. And guess who wrote Ehrlich's dust jacket endorsement? None other than a Tennessee senator named Al Gore. If every candidate for office would read and understand this book, we would all live in a more peaceful and secure world. He wrote that on the back of a dust cover of a guy that proposed forced sterilants in your drinking water. Really? Chew on that for a minute. Of course, Al Gore went on to become vice president with Ehrlich Empowered as his trusted advisor, creating a movie about anthropogenic global warming called An Inconvenient. Truth. Paul Ehrlich's personal credibility was slightly diminished, but the idea of overpopulation had taken hold. As early as 1994, Ehrlich's predictions were proving wrong. But this did not stop the United Nations, with the enthusiastic support and participation of Al Gore, from holding a population conference in Cairo, Egypt. The conference underscored the falsity of the claims. They ignored the fact that the Netherlands has amongst the highest population densities, but also the highest living standards. The location of the conference was chosen because central Cairo presents the image of beggars, poverty, and population densities. This conference was born out of what had occurred just two years earlier, the 1992 Rio Summit. Information for the Cairo Population Conference says the Rio Declaration on Environment and Development and Agenda 21 adopted by the international community at the United Nations Conference on Environment and Development calls for patterns of development that reflect the new understanding of these and other intersectoral linkages. This is how they linked overpopulation, global warming, and And all other false environmental catastrophes. As they said, explicitly integrating population into economic and development strategies will both speed up the pace of sustainable development and poverty alleviation and contribute to the achievement of population objectives and an improved quality of life of the population el Gore explained in his statement at the cairo conference no single solution will be sufficient by itself to produce the patterns of change so badly needed but together over a sufficient length of time a broad-based strategy will help us achieve a stabilized population and thereby improve the quality of life for our children. The program of action just adopted in Cairo offers us a plan that will work and that is the full support of the United States. John Holdren, President Obama's hand-picked Science czar, there's a such thing as a czar, who knew? Was also directly involved in creating the myth of overpopulation. He joined good old Paul Ehrlich to co author Eco Science, which became central to the links between the three issues population, resources, and environment. In the book, Holdren illustrated the methodology by which the overpopulation issue could be confronted using the United States Constitution. Among many proposals for population control, he wrote, Indeed, it has been concluded that compulsory population control laws, even including laws requiring compulsory abortion, could be sustained under the existing constitution if the population crises became sufficiently severe to endanger society. The trick is that Holdren is the person who decides when the population has reached a crisis level and when it endangers society. Despite the fact that Al Gore's movie script is full of errors, the film received an Oscar. Ironically, this is a reasonable award because the movie was produced by Hollywood people and is a superb piece of propaganda. We know it is propaganda because one week before the movie was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize... A UK court issued a ruling on a case brought against the United Kingdom Department of Education for showing the movie in the classroom. The context of the judge's ruling was this provision of the Education Act. The context and nub of the dispute are the statutory provisions described in their side headings as respectively relating to political indoctrination and to the duty to secure balanced treatment of political issues in schools. In his ruling, Justice Burton wrote, I viewed the film at the party's request, although I can only express an opinion as a viewer rather than as a judge. It is plainly, as witnessed by the fact that it received an Oscar this year for the best documentary film, a powerful, dramatically presented and highly professionally produced film. It is built Round the charismatic presence of the ex-vice president Al Gore, whose crusade it is now to persuade the world of the dangers of climate change caused by global warming. It is now common ground that it is not simply a science film, but it is based on opinion. Its theme is not merely the fact that there is global warming and that there is a powerful case that such global warming is caused by man, but that urgent and if necessary, expensive and inconvenient steps must be taken to counter, many of which are spelt out. No wonder the public is confused. Gore continues continues to elude debate on the topic of global warming and used the Nobel Peace Prize money to fund his PR firm, the Alliance for Climate Protection, conveniently located just down the street from Ehrlich's Stanford campus office. At the time, Gore would lend fatherly advice on global warming to Barack Obama, a man steeped in Marxist machinations. Obama pushed an updated version of a cap and trade scheme originally envisioned by Silicon Valley's most prestigious venture capital firms owned by Gore. A critical meeting occurred at the White House in 1997 between Bill Clinton, Al Gore and Ken Lay, president of Enron, that later collapsed because of wrongdoing and Lord Brown, the CEO of BP, who foundered with the oil leak in the Gulf of Mexico. This meeting set the stage for the entire carbon credit cap-and-trade scandal. Gore and his huckster crony proponents of cap-and-trade were comfortably in place to rake billions off the scheme. As the Wall Street Journal pointed out, the proponents of cap-and-trade like to pretend that the system is a free market-based scheme, but when it actually provides cheaper fossil fuels, they want government intervention. The global warming fanatics want it both ways on cap-and-trade, but on both fronts they fail. They believe that cap-and-trade is free market, but it isn't. And they believe it will make fossil fuels so expensive that the only viable option will be green energy. But even that failed miserably. In Europe, where despite green energy policies have been disastrous. They continue to purport that they will succeed if you only make them bigger. In 2009, the New York Times exposed how Al Gore stood to benefit to the tune of billions of dollars if the carbon tax proposals he pushed came to fruition in the United States. And they documented how he had already lined his pockets on the back of the exaggerated fear-mongering about global warming. New York Times' John Broder revealed how one of the companies Gore invested in, Silver Springs Network. Networks received a contract worth 560 million from the energy department to install smart meters in people's homes to record and regulate energy usage. The article went on to say that Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield and Byers, a venture capital firm located in Silicon Valley and its partners, including Mr. Gore, could recoup their investment many times over in coming years. And Gore is well positioned to profit from this green transformation if and when it comes. Gore is poised to be the world's first carbon billionaire. Profiteering from government policies he supports that would direct billions of dollars to the business venture he has invested in. Since he left office, Gore's personal net worth has skyrocketed on the back of his global warming alarmism and the financial dividends this has reaped. Gore's asset totaled less than $2 million in 2001, and although he refuses to give a figure for his current net worth, a recent single investment of $35 million to Capricorn Investment Group, a private equity fund, illustrates just how fast Gore has enriched himself from his climate change bandwagon. Al's political friend Barack Obama continued to use the EPA to push the climate change bandwagon through cap-and-trade systems and other anti-fossil fuel policies forced on the United States. In June of 2014, Senate Republicans urged Obama to repeal his package scheme to cajole states into imposing cap-and-trade plans on carbon dioxide emissions. Republicans insisted it would result in higher energy prices and huge job losses as coal-fired power plants and coal mines stood to be shut down by federal emissions reduction compliance mandates. Despite Obama's failed cap-and-trade, he kept repackaging the same scheme, either trying to get a push through Congress or by regulatory fiat. That was the Obama way, after all. If the democratic process failed to give him what he wanted, he simply decreed it by executive order and imposed it on the people like Benito Mussolini, an imperial dictating despot using strategies right out of the Marxist textbook. Then President Obama's handpicked science czar John Holder and let the Marxian can out of the bag long ago when he wrote up a massive campaign to de-develop the United States. Listen to what he writes, redistribution of wealth both within and among nations is absolutely essential if a decent life is to be provided for every human being. On April 26, 2015 in his Earth Day Proclamation, Obama said, today our planet faces new challenge but none pose a greater threat to future generations than climate change. As a nation, we must act before it is too late. On the heels of his proclamation, John Kerry, in an Earth Day op-ed for U.S. Today, declared that climate change has put America on a, quote, dangerous path along with the rest of the world. Both Obama and Kerry cited rapidly warming global temperatures and ever more severe storms caused by climate change's reasons for urgent action. Just two months before, in February 2015, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on climate change, IPCC top climate scientist Rajendra Pachuri acknowledged inadvertently during his resignation in a farewell letter, the protection of planet Earth, the survival of all species and the sustainability of our ecosystems is more than a mission. It is my religion and my dharma. Again, that was the IPCC's top climate scientist, who by the way, wasn't a scientist, he was a railroad engineer. Just a little side note. Christina Figueres, the official at the time leading the United Nations effort to forge a new international climate treaty later that year in Paris, told reporters the real goal is to change the economic development model that has been reigning at least 150 years. Obama pledged his commitment to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, stating that the commitment would lock the United States into reducing greenhouse gas emissions by more than 25 percent by 2025 and economy-wide emissions reductions of 80 percent or more by 2050. Human Ecology Problems and Solutions brought to you by the conjoined Marxist twins Holdren, and Ehrlich, and their unsavory pals. So as you can see, an elite brigade of zealots has cleverly created a new political platform to carry out their collectivist goals, leveling the playing field in the redistribution of wealth by utilizing something that Karl Marx himself never envisioned. Marx would have salivated at the idea of utilizing junk pseudoscience to force you to believe that your lifestyle is responsible for altering the Earth's atmosphere. It's all a great big lie, but the end justifies the means. After all, it is the devil's way.